Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Classic Lenses podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm hosting this podcast from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. Joining me today are Carl Havens in Gainesville, Florida. Hello, Carl. Good morning. And we have Johnny Sisson in Chicago. Hello, Johnny. Hello from Chicago. And for the second week, from Helsingborg, Sweden, we have Per Edmund with us again. Hello from Sweden. Last week, we talked about the new Sony A7 Mark III and Minolta lenses. The Minolta discussion caused quite a reaction and we feel, feel that there's some unfinished business there. But before we move on to this week's podcast, here's Johnny with some feedback from last week. Right. Uh, we have check, uh, listeners checking in from around the world on the Classic Lenses Facebook uh, group. Um, I think Simon mentioned that we're, we've been listened to in 50 plus countries now, so that's great to see. Uh, Nelson Mullins and Ronald Vandergraaff uh, both talked about starting out with uh, Minolta cameras, um, and then uh, I think it was Nelson or Ronald uh, mentioned using the Sony A-mount uh, with Minolta AF lenses, which fit fit natively, which is a kind of a cool thing. Um, uh, Rob Wolf uh, commented a bit on Simon's Stokey accent, so maybe we can talk a bit about that, and maybe Simon will do a bit of Alan Partridge for us. We'll see. Uh, and Mehdi Buhalasa is apparently um, constantly in danger because of this program. He can't he can't listen to it in the car. And he can't uh, listen to it on the couch because he falls off the couch when we mention his name. So, Mehdi, if you're on the floor right now, we're we're very sorry, but we're going to mention your name in every episode. Sorry. I think. Yeah, we're going to try to get you in in every episode, I think. Now it's just a new thing. Um, <laughs> we had some good uh, yeah, uh, some feedback as well from uh, from Ben Kudo mentioned that he'd like to hear us make a, or a pair specifically a stronger case for the quality of Minolta glass, which I believe is part of today's unfinished business. Um, and Rob Wolf was wondering uh, how it is that I'm not connecting with the interface on the Sony, which I guess I could talk more about that. Um, also, we had uh, we, we really need to mention um, Simon's triumphant entrance into the vintage film shooters group on the back of a donkey with everyone <laughs> waving palm leaves at him. So Eric uh, Kosluis, thank you very much for the kind words about our podcast there. We really, we really do appreciate it. You know, the rest of us here on the podcast as well, other than Simon, uh, Tom over in the MF lenses.com uh, forum was also thanking us for the podcast. Thank you very much for those words, Tom, you know, we'll keep up the work there. And, um, you know, just a, just a shout out to, to that group. That's uh, a hugely influential group on everyone here. So we're glad to see the, the comments, um, in MF lenses.com regarding the podcast. And everything that we're doing there so so there we go anyone else have a uh, feedback follow-up comments from last week that i didn't manage to pull into my little homework session here well i've, I've certainly got something to say about uh, um, eric eric's uh, introduction of me on the vintage um film shooters uh, facebook group um thank you very much eric uh, it was uh, <laughs> quite a surprise and um and uh, i hope i've managed to contribute uh, uh, reasonably well so far so uh, thank you very much for the for the welcome there um i do f want to just go back to that uh uh pretty amazing stat uh, the fact that we're we've been podcasting now for nine weeks this is episode 10 um so last week last monday we we reached you know 50 countries uh, which i think is absolutely fantastic um and it also coincided with um the analytics for the podcast starting to work uh, for the very first time because it, at one point we we thought we were getting uh, reaching no more than say 
you know, 30, 40 and 50 people and then, you know, suddenly we're 500, oh, it's gone up to 600 and 700 and then keeps on rising. So, um, you know, there, there's clearly a lot of people out there that uh, are interested in old lenses and um, I really hope we can, you know, hold on to the uh, the people that are actually listening to us now because um, we, we really appreciate it. So, um, so thanks for everybody for, for listening to the podcast. Uh, yeah, could I could I mention maybe too? Um, if you are enjoying the podcast and listening to it on iTunes, I know not everyone's listening to it there. But if you want to review us, that would be great too. Because uh, more more so than just I guess how much we enjoy personally seeing that, it, I think it really is great to see how much interest there is in this topic. And I know that you know working at you know Central Camera in Chicago, um, I'm seeing people every day that I'm talking to who are who are looking for classic lenses to adapt to the, you know, their, their cameras. So it's definitely a real thing. It, you know, it, it's, it's a niche that we're, that we're obviously interested in, but it's a real thing. Um, so it's great to see that going. And the more we talk about it, the more it will continue. So it's, it's like a famous person here in the United States would say, listening at a level that has never been seen before. <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> Okay, now moving on to uh, this week, um, I'm going to go back over to Pear um, because yeah. because Pear, some people have questioned um, whether you really do belong to the Minolta Mafia because your reasons for um, sticking with 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 Minolta it came as a bit of a shock to us. It seems to be more about <laughs> convenience than it was about uh, an undying love uh, for their lenses. So. Um, so perhaps today you can have a have a second go at uh, defending Minolta's honour um, and and you know, by talking about some of their lenses. Um, in particular, Ben Kuto made a, a really good point that we didn't actually talk about Minolta zoom lenses. So perhaps, Pear, you could uh, chat to, chat a little bit more about about those zoom lenses. Groucho Marx said that he wouldn't want to be in a club that would have him as a member. And um, I'm not in it for the club. I'm not in it for the mafia. <clears throat> it has been a question of convenience for me, or rather a question of containing my madness, because I have a streak of, of collectoritis. I have a streak of just gathering everything for the sake of it. I don't, I don't need four or five different 35 millimeter lenses. I don't need four or five 50 millimeter lenses. I, I do have them, but I don't need them. Um, and if I were to branch out into all the Russians and all the all the other Japanese brands, I would just I would become very very poor, and I would run out of space for anything else. So I'm actually limited to a single IKEA sh set of shelves for my camera equipment. And if I if I build onto that, and that's that's AF and MF. That's that's all I have, and that's all I'm going to have. The only thing I take out of that shelf is things that are for sale to get rid of them, to make space for new stuff. Um, and I suppose I'm also avoiding the whole fanboy idea that whatever you do have, and it's not just fanboys, it's fanboys and girls. It's just the entire, some sort of uh, not buyer's remorse. It's this, it's this idea that once you own something, you kind of have to defend your choice so that when you choose something, you actually spend money on it, you spend time on it, you become attached to it in an, in an unreasonable way that I own this, 
therefore it must be good, therefore I must defend it. And I, I try to avoid that thinking too. So when I say that I own Minolta lenses only, I like them, they're, they're dear to me. Uh, Minolta cameras are the way cameras should look and should feel in my hands. I'm not saying that they're the best lenses and the best cameras that exist, but they are the ones I've chosen and they're the ones I choose to use. And my reasons are not that this is the greatest equipment in the world. My reasons are that I like them I don't have the experience or the, the the wide range of lenses to compare to to say that these are the best lenses in the world. And that's especially true for zoom lenses, actually. There's this uh, great article on lens rentals about <clears throat> zoom lenses. Uh, I, I really love the, the salty way that I can't remember the writer's name on on, um, on lens rentals, but he has this really almost sarcastic way of describing uh, the situation, describing the quality of lenses that most people, they own a zoom lens. Maybe they had one and then they replaced it with a better version. And I think the better version is better. But when it comes to zoom lenses, um, I hope everyone realizes that a zoom lens is always more difficult to produce than a, than a prime lens. And, and I'm, I assume that most of us here have tried zoom lenses and prime lenses and, and, and all come to the conclusion that prime lenses are often much better. And that's simply because they have fewer moving parts and they have fewer pieces of glass in them and they, they're just you know easier to get right. Whereas a zoom lens, looking at that article on, uh, on lens rentals, he tests 10 identical zoom lenses from the same year, from the same manufacturer, because that, that's what they rent out to people. And the variance, the, the, you know, how they differ, not just between copies, but between zoom ranges, like at closest, at longest, at mid, somewhere in between the long and the mid, they all vary in MFT, sorry, MTF, in, in, in sharpness and in quality. And, and even things such as um, uh, fringing is different across the frame with a zoom lens at various lengths. Um, same thing goes for cameras and for lenses. You may own a Helios 44. I, I even think that the Helios 44 is, one, is a perfect example of a lens that really, really varies with the copy you get. Um, but you don't know that. You only own one of them, one of them, or maybe two, possibly three. I may even own four of some lenses. But it's still just it's still just four lenses. I have no way of knowing if these four lenses are typical. Uh, which I suppose is, is to say that it's a good thing none of us are really looking for, for perfection in a lens, you know, a lens without flaws. We're looking for lenses, uh, both types of lenses and um, specific copies of lenses that have an interesting rendition or a rendition we were looking for. It, uh, it's not a question of being perfect. It's a question of being um, looking through it and going, wow, I like this. That's 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 quite fascinating. I, I think we we need to dig that that, that article out and uh, and put that into the um, into the podcast notes. Uh, was that, because I mean we we keep talking every week about uh, sample variation and uh, certainly with the with the former Soviet Union lenses, uh, sample variation is a is a big deal. Um, but yeah. We we don't really. I mean I do hear about it with modern lenses. I mean I, fully enough there's. I've, I use a, a my my only AF lens is a Sigma one twenty to four hundred, uh, and I, I use use that on my Nikon. And I know as a fact that that lens on 
other cameras or even on with on the same camera that it's it's well known that it's a lens that some copies just aren't very good and mm. i just happen to have a good one um but it's it's particularly interesting there you're talking about 10 identical lenses i, I mean I, I don't know if you can remember what what make those lenses were um uh, I'm, I'm actually looking at the article now i, I just uh, found it it's called um, it's headlined things you didn't want to know about zoom lenses <laughs> yeah. by roger sicala <laughs> And of course, they rent stuff, so they know they can they can perform these measurements uh, between every rental if they wanted to, so that they could <laughs> they they can accept a rental in return, and then they can bill them for the damage of the lens falling down onto a soft surface. It doesn't have any scratches, but the MTF is blown to. <laughs> it's you know it's interesting the sample variation thing because we talked about a Helios 103. And it's one that several of us have had multiple copies because they come for free on these fancy um, custom-made adapters that we buy. And so I've had, well, I, I can just look up on my lens cabinet on some display cameras, and I have, I have four of them, actually. And only one of them is any good. But um, I've had four MC Rocor PF 58 1.4s, mm -hmm. and they've all, been, they've all been equally good. Um, I can't differentiate between them. They all were really nice lenses so and that lens anyway the four maybe i got lucky and the four i had were all really nice um but one of the things i was wondering if you could do pair yeah. is there's this interesting nomenclature with um minolta rocor lenses there's mc and there's md and um, i don't know that all of the listeners know the difference between those two and then there's um these you know early ones with the pf and pg and so forth designations and what that stands for of course, it's. Um, I don't know all the specifics by heart, but the the mount is actually called the SR mount. That's the name for the entire mount. It doesn't matter if your lens is called Autorocor or or uh, MD or MC. If it's even called a Rocor, it doesn't really matter. Uh, the mount is still called SR. So the very first Rocors um, were just called Autorocors, I believe, in 1940s. Um, the MC stands for meter coupling between the lens and the camera for metering. Uh, whereas the MD, I believe, um, I mean, a lot of things change between MC and MD, but I believe the MD, can't remember what it stands for, but it's for um, program mode so that the lens doesn't just couple metering, it couples the aperture. If you turn it to the green, there's always a green number on the MD lenses, and the green number is if you set it to that and you set the camera to P, it will work in program mode with the lens. Uh, I believe those are the main differences. But then there are also construction construction differences. I, I believe I mentioned them last week that the MC lenses, for once, MC doesn't stand for multi-coded. It stands for meter coupling. So um, the MC lenses were, actually had worse coatings than the MD lenses. Of course, the MDs are newer, but MC has nothing to do with the coatings. So MD lenses often have better coatings. But MD lenses also have more plastic in them, and I think they have less brass, so they're lighter, um, which I like, uh, whereas a lot of other people prefer the, uh, the tank-like feel of an all-metal barrel with metal ribbing. I prefer rubber and plastic because it's lighter. I know I, I don't want a, a lens all, metal, all plastic, of course, but... But I like the grips, and I like uh, when plastic helps to make an, a lens uh, lighter and easier to use. Uh, right, the, the nomenclature. I this is the part I don't know by heart. Uh, I know that when there are two letters after the Rocor, for example, Rocor, uh, the the W Rocor, H H, um, 
the first age stands for the number of groups. The second age stands for the number of lenses. When it comes to the 35 1.8 W row core age age, the W of course stands for wide angle. That's a wider than a 50. And uh, the age, first age stands for six groups and the second age stands for eight lenses, I believe. Don't quote me on that. So it's the same thing with the 58 uh, row core PF. That's also uh, number of groups and number of lenses, but I don't know by heart what P stands for and what F stands for. I guess if you really wanted to, if, you, if, you, if you're one of these people who believe that micro contrast has to do with the number of lenses, I suppose you could just look for the, the row core with the, the, the soonest letter of the alphabet as the second letter in that nomenclature. Yeah, I, I looked this up one time, and I don't know whether this is correct or not, but what I found online was that F is, is six elements, and then the G has seven. Yeah, F, G, H. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, Olymp and, uh, Olympus follows that same nomenclature. I'll, actually, several of the manufacturers do follow that lettered nomenclature for you know lens elements. But is right. it the same? Like, would, would a PF from one manufacturer be a PF from, the same, from, from another manufacturer? Well, uh, but an F, yeah. F, an F Zuko um, has also six elements, and then a G Zuko has, has ah, right. Yeah. right. So you know what? One of the other things I was wondering, I, I, was, I used the 58 yesterday. I thought, well, so we're going to talk about these lenses. I should use it. If this is the only Rokor lens that I still own, um, in part because it's the first fast 50 lens that I ever bought. And so there's a little bit of a sentimental value of keeping it. And it's kind of cool because um, the, the one thing that I like about it is it isn't a super sharp lens um, at f1.4. If you put it to f2, it, it, it sharpens up really nice. Um, but I, one of the things I like is the bokeh is surprising and, and that you don't know exactly what you're going to get from one shot to the next. And um, I like that attribute of it. But it's interesting that um, we've talked about these before. So it seems like some of the earlier lenses in a variety of brands, the 58s and the 57s are common, and then there's a migration towards 50s. Is that, am I right about that? Yeah. I don't know why, of course. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've considered the same thing. Like the 57, um, what's that? There's a 57. Is it Hexanon 57? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and then Nikkor, um, 58 1.2. I'm guessing there was some sort of common construction back then. I've I've always made the the assumption that it was more to do with just standardising the range, um, you know, thirty, you know, twenty-eight, fifty, uh, thirty-five, eighty-five. Um, I think having something ending in a eight or a seven, um, I think that just sounded odd. Um, I mean, they certainly went down to fifty-five, and I think I I just get the feeling it's a um, it's it's more to do with standardization of sizes is 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 anything really? But it is a change of optics. I mean, there there's today a 35 millimeter lens can be anything from we've we've talked about this before in the chat a long time ago that a 35 could actually be a 37 or even a 38 in real in reality if you compare them to other 35s. Um, but this was a real change. I mean, lenses used to be longer, and then they became 50 became the norm, or well, anything from 45 to 55. But still, I don't believe there are any 45s labeled as 50, and I don't believe there are any 55s that are really 50 either. I think there that was still a difference. But 58 is a bit off. It's uh, 
what is it, 15, 16% off from, from 50. Yeah. And when you compare uh, a Roku PF58, it is decidedly longer than a 50. Uh, looking through it, mm-hmm. since it's still 1.4 um, aperture, it's uh, it has a decidedly different bokeh. It has a decidedly different uh, you know, uh, way of isolating the subject. Well, you can yep. trace trace the history of these lenses back to 1930s Germany with uh, with the Zeiss lenses, uh, mm-hmm. which you got the Biotar being f- a 58, uh, but you've also got the the Sonars uh, with the f2 and the 1.5 um, at, at 50. So it, it, there must have been a decision that a 58 millimeter lens is there for a reason, in the same way as a, a 50 millimeter lens is there for a reason. Um, but I, I just think it's it's as much to do with standardization because you know a 50 millimeter lens is quite an easy to focal length to understand I mean both of them are somewhere in between 50 to 58 is the the same focal length at 35 millimeter at least as as, as your eye as, as you see things um, but it does seem to me the 58 seems to be a little bit longer than my eyesight and I think uh, uh, 50 is probably a little bit shorter, so somewhere in between the two. But I just think that 58s and, and 55s just went out of fashion. Yeah, I don't actually, I don't actually buy the whole uh, the same way your eye sees. You can see that about a lot of lenses. You can see that from everything from 35 to 58 is someone is going to say it's it's the way the eye sees. And I remember walking around with a 50 millimeter on the Olympus, which has a two two times crop factor, and I, I had both eyes open one eye on the finder and the one eye you know open uh, just without the camera on and i thought that that's still those two things still overlapped i could i could look at the world without any sort of distortion or or uh, nausea um looking through what it was effectively a hundred millimeter uh, view field of view uh, that also of course depends on how wide or how large the viewfinder is um, so if you have a very very large viewfinder um a 35 millimeter lens is going to look more like the view your eye sees. The thing about the eye and the brain, oh my God, this could be an entirely entire episode just in itself because the eye is not a camera. Yes. It is very, very different in so many ways. And, and it's just not just the optics of the eye and the, the sensor of the retina, it's the brain. The yep. brain does really strange things. Um, I, I take as an example that an experiment was made where people had to walk around with glasses that turned the world upside down. A week later, everyone had adapted. So when they removed the glasses, yeah. <laughs> had to spend another week adapting to get, get normal eyesight back because the brain just turns the picture upside down. The brain adapts. Yeah. Yep. So when I was looking through this um, uh, 100 millimeter equivalent lens on the on the micro four thirds, my brain just assumed that oh you're you're focusing on this thing. Okay, we're focusing on this thing now. So it just adapted the field of view that I experienced to fit the the 100. Um, coming back to why 50 became standardized, I uh, I've used the 58 as a portrait lens with great success. Um, I think you know everything. There are, you know, portrait lenses. There are different opinions on this. Some say 135, one, some say uh, 60, 58, 75, 85 has been a, a popular portrait size. Uh, I like 58, but as you move down into 50, when you, if you're already at 58, if you go down to 50, you get a much more wide range of uses. You can get, you can fit several people in the frame if you just take a few steps back. I think it's, I mean, we're all speculating here, but but 50 is more usable. I mean, I'm a 35 millimeter guy, but 50 is so obviously. I think 50 is more usable than 58, 
50 looks great for some things. 50 has a wider range of uses. Uh, yeah, and that, that and we also need to just um, include simple economics. It's much cheaper to make a 50 millimeter lens than a 35 millimeter lens, you know? So, I mean, that's really why ultimately it's a standard on, you know, most of these systems kind of going back to, you know, I don't know, the 50s, 60s, right? Um, it does come down to economics and, and um, you know, angle of view. I do think there's some people like, as Paris saying, will will say a, a 50 millimeter is normal. Others will say 35 is. Um, I think it's really interesting that if you look at many SLRs, uh, I'm thinking particularly here of the Olympus and the Minolta with um, a 50 millimeter lens on the Olympus OM line, for example, if you open both eyes, you have perfect stereo vision. So the 50 millimeter lens has been sort of tuned with the viewfinder to give um, a both eye open image where everything is there. There's no focus magnification difference between, you know, either either eye essentially, if if you catch my meaning. So it looks like you're looking at the same thing with both eyes without any shift in um, angle of view. So it's that to me is very interesting about some of the SLRs. Whereas I, I think a 35 millimeter lens feels much more natural on a rangefinder camera. So, um, and, and also to Pierre's point about the way the brain works, um, using a roll, I use a Roloflex exclusively for about 10 years and the left, right reversal is something that throws a lot of people when they first look through a, a TLR, you're looking through the waist level finder and left and right are reversed. But if you use that camera system a lot, you just sort of forget about that. Um, and it just becomes normal. And actually to me, it's funny. I, I, the problem I would have using my Roloflex is I would, get so in tune with um, the left right reversal that I would see my images and then they they would be when I printed them they would be reversed the left would be right right would be left again and I'm like well that composition looks odd because it's on the wrong side of the frame so <laughs> which I still get that and it wasn't until much later using the Roloflex I realized oh I actually have to compose opposite of what I'm seeing in the viewfinder even though what I'm seeing in the viewfinder is perfectly acceptable I have to actually think about it the other way because my composition might not look right <laughs> once it's actually an image you know out of the camera so it is it's fascinating how all that stuff uh, optically works so pair you've you've done a really really good job of not talking about Minolta zoom lenses uh, so far <laughs> and, and taking this conversation away from Minolta let's huh. let's, let's tie you back down and uh, bring you back back to Minolta again there are a few zoom lenses with Minolta that I like um, the beer can being the, the epitome uh, it's the it's a 70 to 210 millimeter f4. It uh, the when we call it the beer can, we're talking about the AF version, uh, but it existed the same optical uh, solution existed as the of course the MD zoom MD zoom 70 to 210 millimeter f4. I love the rendition of that lens. Uh, it's there are more expensive. Minolta lenses. There's a, an f2.8 uh, still used as the Sony G uh, 70 to 210 millimeter f2.8, but I don't I don't own those. They're they're still prohibitively expensive, even though they're 30 years old by now. But um, the beer can I is a fantastic portrait lens too. It has a I think it's I think it's a, the, what what they call the transfocus, the difference between things that are sharp and seeing things that are not sharp. It's extremely smooth in those transitions, so that's why I call it a, a perfect portrait lens. Uh, if you if you do portraits with zoom lens, um, 
and that lens, I, I'm, I can't remember if that lens was one, was one of the ones that uh, Leica asked for, because when Leica wanted to start making zoom lenses, they asked Minolta to help. They asked Minolta for optics. Leica were only doing primes for a very long time, and Minolta had good quality zoom lenses. Uh, so the 35 to 70 f3.5, and I believe, you know, you'll have to correct me on this if I'm wrong, everyone in the comments, please do. The 70 210, I believe, also became um, a Leica lens with the same optics. Now, I don't own a whole lot of, of uh, zoom lenses. I can't compare them to all other zoom lenses that have existed, and I prefer primes. But that lens, looking through it, shooting photos with it, it just makes me happy. The 70 to, to 210. Either version, it doesn't matter. I prefer the older ones because, as we mentioned last time, the AF lenses from Minolta have a really small and fiddly focus ring just at the front for almost all of their lenses, except for the 28 to 135 f4 to f4.5 called the Secret Handshake. Um, Speaking of which, we have these strange names for them, the secret handshake and the, the beer can and the pocket rocket and the big beer can. And, um, I suppose I, I used to believe that that also meant that these lenses were something special. Mm. You don't give something a pet name unless it has character. Looking at old photos, I believe the, the 70 to 210 was very popular too because I recognized some of the behaviors from that lens in old photography from the 80s and 90s. Things get names because they have legends attached to them. But I really can't say if they're better than anything else. So which which one was the Pocket Rocket? The Pocket Rocket is the 135 2.8 right. AF. It's it's not very rocket-shaped, but it's it does fit in a pocket. And I, Well, it's not more rocket-shaped than any <laughs> other lens. <laughs> it doesn't have a nose cone lens protector. That would be cool. But it, no, it doesn't. Is it more pocketable? It's a pocketable 135. It's uh, It has a built-in hood, which really helps with the pocketability. You don't have to pocket both the hood and the lens. Um, but it also has a fantastic rendition, fantastic uh, difference between in-focus and out-of-focus. Uh, and it focuses down to a meter, which is good for a 135 lens, especially one from 1985. Yeah. Go, yep. Going back to the uh, 70 to 210 M MD zoom, uh, F4, yeah. the the original version before it uh, morphed into the AF uh, yeah. beer can. Um, I, I used one of those for a short while. Uh, in fact, I took it round a, uh, a zoo, and it was just an absolutely fantastic lens. It was perfect for the day. Um, I'm a very much a, a prime lens user, but I just I just wanted to see if I can just go there with one or maybe two lenses, and and I I kept that kept that lens on my camera all day, and you know some of the shots I was getting out there I was really really pleased with that lens from from wide open all the way all the way through, um, and it was it had great uh, separation abilities. You know some of the animals that I took there, you know the the animal was fully in focus and everything else was 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 blown out so it, it's certainly a, a lens I've got a lot lot of respect for um, I mean I've, I give Minolta's a bit of a hard time I've, 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 I admit but certainly uh, that's a lens that I've got a great deal of respect for um, and you've also mentioned the other one uh, which is a, a bit of a classic uh, being the 35 to 70 f 3.5 constant aperture um, um, I think there's actually three versions of those as well um, yeah there are several there are several. There's 
two very distinct versions, if you want to call them that. There was the the, the first one was the 35 to 70 um, f 3.5, which became the the like uh, LMR it something or other I can't remember, um, and eventually morphed into the an f4. Um, the first version had no macro mode, and it, it, it was from 35 to 70, nothing else, and constant aperture 3.5. There then came a version with a macro close-up mode at, I can't remember if it's the short end or the long end. It's the, I think it's the long end. Just push a button and you can, you can uh, get even closer. Uh, I love, I, I really like that lens. I, I have a few versions of it. I have a few copies of it uh, with, with and without the macro. And um, they also have that really, really nice separation of subject and background, a smooth transfer between them. And, and for a zoom, it's very, very sharp when you get things in focus. It has some, you know, interesting flare. It works very well as a reversal uh, macro lens on a reversal ring. Um, it's very, very fiddly working like that. But isn't any zoom lens you have an additional dial in, in addition to the aperture and the, the focus? But uh, I can understand why Leica would want it. Even if you hate zooms in general, it performs. You know, for for someone who likes. Uh, vintage lenses. You should really look into the to all the varieties of 35 to 70 from in the Minolta zoom range. But the other distinct version is there also there was also a 28 to 70, and this is where things get, get strange because the 35 to 70 was a bit legendary, uh, being bought up by by Leica and everything. But the 28 to 70. There's a version there that is distinctly different from any other Minolta zoom that people have started speculating that it's not even made by Minolta. Um, I'm, I think the speculation goes that it's, it's most likely a Vivitar or something, uh, but it's very different. It, it feels much different. It, it becomes loose much faster. It, it renders differently. It's just not the same, same lens. Um, it's not bad, but it's, it's not as good as the 35 to 70 versions. Well, I think if you actually, if you think it's a Vivitar, then that would that that would also mean that it's something else because Vivitar didn't actually make any of their own lenses. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm trying to remember what what other speculation I've heard, but I don't know. Re reporting on speculation based on I don't know. I don't. We shouldn't speculate too much on it, but it, it behaves very differently, and it has a lot of vignetting at, at 28 millimeter that the 35 doesn't have at 35 millimeter. So it's definitely it's you know, highly likely that it's a completely different lens, possibly from a different manufacturer. Um, I can't remember. There's something else that's different about it. Um, can't remember it right now. But it, it behaves differently, looks differently through the lens, renders differently, uh, has a harsher background softness to things. It's not just. It's just not the same lens. So if you're looking for for this lens, look for 35 to 70 with or without the macro button. I remember when you tried the 70 to 210 first time, I, I remember it because you had a hard, for some reason, you had a hard time focusing on sparrows. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that, that, not so much focusing on sparrows, but you know, I, it was uh, certainly at the time when I was, I was taking uh, lots of birds and I was getting you know, quite a few rare birds and things. Um, but could I get a sparrow? Um, and you know, there were sparrows nesting around my house. And I just could not get a photograph of a sparrow because every time I, I, I would go out the house, they'd all disappear. Um, so, uh, <laughs> and then 
I just I, I came out of the house one day and and there was a sparrow and I just happened to have that lens with me and uh, so yes um, I think you were uh, and I, I I got it it's a good photograph it was really um, nice nice and sharp and uh, and I think at that point uh, one of us possibly yourself named it the sparrow hawk so, um, so in my in my recollection, it was you that came up with it, uh, oh, came up with the Sparrowhawk name. Yeah. But I, I remember it because I had just been, I had just shot a scene of a shrubbery full of sparrows. And like the day after or the same day, you you found, you man, managed to get this shot of the, with the Sparrowhawk. So you inspired me. Uh, no, nah, more like you off. I think uh, <laughs> I took a shot full of sparrows and you said, now you're just messing with me. Now you're just, you now you're just making fun of me. Um, but yeah, I have a few very good small bird shots with the with the AF, I think, on Micro Four Thirds. Even it has a bit of fringing uh, at two two times crop factor. It has a bit of fringing um, if you, especially if you crop, of course. But that's the thing about adapting lenses to APS-C and Micro Four Thirds that you really have to pick a lens. Um, when it comes to older lenses, you are going to have a bit of fringing, especially with bright light in the scene. But there are quite a few classic lenses that will look very, very good even on micro four thirds, because there's plenty of resolution there, and you just have to pick one with, you know, the smallest, the tightest, the thinnest um, aberrations. And that lens, for me, um, it has a bit of softness to it, when, uh, of course, uh, but it, it looks very, very good. They're very, very, uh, like you said, the, the entire subject subject will be in focus, and it will have a very nice soft background to it. So when we talk about lenses, I always look, I'm looking at eBay at the same time we're talking. About <laughs> and no, no, there's a um, there's a Minolta MD 35 to 70 on eBay from Robert's camera, and it has two issues with it, which I wouldn't care about. Um, the front decorative trim ring is missing, and half of the filter thread is gone. But otherwise, it's in perfect condition, and it's twenty two dollars. Sorry, the the first thing was the decorative ring. The second thing decorative was decorative ring, and half of the front th thread is missing for the to put a filter on, and otherwise it's good. Twenty two bucks. It's uh, it has a rotating front, so uh, no uh, no gradients and no polarizers anyway. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it matters. I have a few busted ver uh, busted copies too. I have my my most busted copy has rust in the screw threads and i found moss on the inside and it still takes pretty pictures yeah but i'm selling it i think i've, I've managed to sell it from one for one swedish crown which is 10 euro cents yeah so the ones that are in really good condition seem to be around a hundred dollars on, on ebay the, my problem is I bu i've bought zoom lenses in the past i've bought a couple of nikors and I might have had it in minolta and um they last for about a month at the most and then i decided to really I really don't like them, and um, for, for one reason or another, and then they go. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I pretty much agree with you. Although I've, I, I do have one uh, classic zoom lens. Uh, I don't use it very often, uh, but it, it absolutely uh, is a classic, and it's the Voigtlander Zoom R. And it's, oh, that wonderful uh, lens! Yeah, and it's a 38 to. 82 mil just look at it now um 38 to 82 millimeter f 2.8 constant zoom um and it's just an amazing piece of engineering it, it's it, it it looks it looks well i think it was i'm trying to remember what year it was made i'm not sure if it came out in 1960 i think it was or 61 something like that but it, it, it looks like it was designed to be the lens of the future 
yeah. and it, it's in fact it looks like it could become could have been from uh, Fritz Lang's uh, Metropolis. Uh, it's got it's got that look about it, and the way the actual zoom ring, uh, the zoom ring uh, pushes and, and pulls, it's it's totally exposed, and it's got these arm. It's got three arms that go into the uh, the main part of the lens, and it just looks amazing. Um, in terms of optics, <laughs> um, uh, we've touched upon uh, the fact that zoom lenses are more difficult to make. Um, um, distortion-free images uh, with than a, than a prime lens, and that's certainly the case with this. It, it distorts all over the place. Um, it also flares, in, you know, very very freely. Um, but it's it's also just an amazing lens to use. But you just don't seem to know what you're going to get with it. In fact, I, I really need to get out and use this a bit more. It uh, it belongs. I've actually got it sitting on a um, which one is it? It's a, it's a Bessomatic. Who is it? A Bessomatic. I'm not sure what the camera is actually. I think it's a Bessomatic, and uh, which which is a DKL uh, mount. So you can. It's actually possible to put this on just about anything because it's about the longest uh, flange distance of uh, almost any system. So you can even put one of these things onto a Nikon. So uh, which is which is saying something. Although sometimes you have to uh, be um, quite adaptive in the way that you actually do that. Uh, I think, and and also I've I've. I think I put this onto other cameras using a DKL to M42, then a helicoid because it's got an incredibly long uh, minimum focus. But it's just a, it's just a great, a great fun lens. Um, so yeah, I like zoom lenses as long as they're completely and utterly weird. That's <laughs> well, what I was, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that that lens is really a uh, kind of a milestone. That that's a uh, Heinz Kilfit design zoom lens. Um, he was a you know really famous lens designer. That was really the first commercially available zoom lens back in the late 50s so that's that's why it's so weird and wonderful i think mm -hmm. so pair let me ask you something about sure. minolto lenses one last thing that comes to mind um some of them um say rocor x uh, and i heard that those are for um, u.s export is that right yeah yeah that's the only difference um okay the way i understand it is it was there was there was quite a bit of interest in Rokors. There were even people coming into camera stores and asking for that Rokor camera uh, instead of Minolta, and they were very skeptical when it said Minolta on the camera. Um, so Rokor became a household name, and for some reason, Rokor X was chosen to make it more exclusive, make it seem more exclusive in the US. But on the inside, it's the exactly same lens. It's just right. the front plate and the, and the lettering that's different. Um, we also started talking about Celtics last time, didn't we? Celtics yep. were the the cheaper version. So you had Roker X's and you have had Celtics. Um, I have never seen a Celtic lens in in Europe. Uh, just Rokors. They were all just Rokors here. And of course, uh, they eventually stopped using the Rokor name. MD3 lenses, as we call the last version of, of Rokor lenses, uh, don't actually say Rokor on them. They're the right, same construction. Right. They're the same optics. They have even better coatings, but they're just called MD, Minolta MD, and then the, the length of the aperture. Okay. Uh, and that started with, I believe that started with the zoom lenses. Um, there were lenses called, um, older lenses, they were called the MD, MC Roker this, MD Roker that, MD W Roker for wide angle, MD Tele Roker for tele lenses like 135 and further. Um, but then zoom lenses started being called MD zoom instead of MD zoom Rokor. Right. Um, so that I, 
I don't know why they stopped. They had a household name. Why stop using a household name? I don't, I don't know. But it seems to me that Minolta made more and more business mistakes and eventually partnered up with Konica, eventually got sold to, to Sony. Um, I would chalk it up to bad choices. So of these various fast 50s, um, I haven't, I've kept only that 58. Um, and just personal preference, I didn't like any of the others as well as my Nikors or my Canon LTM lenses, so I don't have them. But um, the one that stood out for me is, if I had kept one that was really sharp and had a nice bokeh, was the PG 50 1.4. It's an MC lens. Do you, I don't, do you have that lens? You mean PG 50 1.4? Yeah, yeah. I no, I don't. It was very sharp, super sharp. And it's probably as sharp, wide open as any of the lenses that I have. Um, and I had it for a while and sold it. But um, that was a... But I do have the, the 2.0, the, the F2, and I have the 1.7, or had the 1.7. Um, I like the 1.4s. I like the 1.2, obviously. Um, I don't like the 1.7, but I do like the F2s. Yeah. So the 45 F2 and the 50, the MC50 and the MD52, they are amazingly sharp. I've used yeah. those lenses with the high resolution mode on the Olympus, which means that there's 64 megapixels in a space a quarter of the size of full frame, and those lenses are still sharp, still you know pixel sharp at f2. So what is it about the the 51.7 that you don't like? Because you've surprised me by saying that. Uh, because it's just it's just middling. I mean, the 1.4 has this glow. It has it's has speed. It it's it has, has nice bokeh, and, and the the f2 is fantastically sharp. I I even believe you. It's a sonar design, I believe. The 50 f2 f2. Um, it's amazingly sharp. It has good rendition. It, it obviously not a soft background. Whereas the 1.7, it's just a compromise between the two. I don't even I don't know if they share designs or not, but it just never struck me as as outstanding in any way. So. I like the 1.4s and the 1.2s. I like the F2 because it's that much sharper. But the 1.7, it just doesn't help me in any way. So it's it's one of the things that I gave away, started giving away when I wanted to get rid of lenses to get new ones. Right. I'm not nostalgic about that. I'm not collecting just for collecting's sake. I own more lenses of the, the lenses that I like, and I own none of the lenses that I don't like. Well, at least I try. No, yep. I'm in pretty much agreement about the 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 51.7. I think that that actually goes with quite a few uh, 51.7s and 1.8s and potentially 1.9 lenses. The uh, the one the you know, the the middling ones, as you say, that were uh, bundled with with cameras. Um, I've, there are a few 51.78s and nines that that are particularly good, but in in the main. Uh, yeah, the 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 Minolta, the the Pentax. I mean, people say good things about the Pentax 1.7, and I, it's never done it for me either, for exactly the same reasons that you're saying there. Um, there are some standout ones. I think I think the uh, the Ashika ML 51.7 is a is a fantastic lens. I'm 95% certain it's exactly the same lens as the uh, the Carl Zeiss Planer uh, lens. Um, and then you get some of the the more um, specialty ones like the uh, like the Ultron 
Um, I'm talking about the one with the concave uh, front element, um, and um, and you've also got the the, the pancolars are nice as well. But uh, generally speaking, one point sevens just have never done it for me. Well, from from areas where from eras where better lenses existed, the one point seven is is a compromise. It, uh, but the the Minolta 50 f2 came bundled with a lot of cameras too they both the MC and I believe the MD as well because why would you buy an f2 well that's that's just me as a speed freak thinking out loud why would I buy an f2 lens if I already had a f1.7 but the 1.7 uh, you know mediocre in, in all ways when from an era where better lenses is, 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 is existed yeah it's, it's also got to be said that me, mediocre uh, when we're talking about 50 millimeter lenses and standard lenses they were all good or generally yes. speaking there are very very few uh, actual poor uh, standard lenses so when we're saying mediocre we, we we're not really saying it's a it's it's just it's not a particularly good lens it's it's a very very good lens but it, but it just isn't special in any way yeah i hope i'm not stepping on any toes here because there are a lot of people who have grown up with or used these 1.7 lenses for a very long time and to you i would say that you enjoy your lens please continue to enjoy it but when if you want more sharpness do look to the f2 don't don't think that you're getting a, another lens that would just be identical to your 1.7 it is going to give you something different that you don't have today and the same can be said for the 1.4 it really is better when it comes to low light and it doesn't it's not worse in any way at all. You will just get the extra speed. So if you feel like you need more speed than a 1.7, please try the 1.4. It's still not that expensive. It's not now, but it was back in the day. I, I can speak to the 1.7 because it was my uh, primary lens for many years on the Minolta system. Um, and I think I think if we can just filter uh, some of this uh, conversation through the fact that we're judging those lenses on modern digital cameras, um, not the cameras they were meant to be used on or the format they were meant to be used on. Cause I, I really don't see any difference between any manufacturers one point, you know, uh, six, seven, eight or nine lenses on film out of a film camera. They all look the same. Yeah. Um, and I think that's purely, you know, all of those, all those manufacturers were trying to compete with each other and sell, um, come up with any selling point they could why their camera system was better than the competitor. So a 1.7 lens is probably no different whatsoever in terms of light uh, passing capacity than a 1.8 lens or even a 1.9 or a 1.6 for that matter. But everybody was trying to one up everyone else. So if you could stand at a camera counter looking at cameras and the, the sales guy could say, well, this is a 1.7 lens, you know, that was just as selling. That's to me, that's just pure marketing. Um, and, and, you know, even the, the F2 would have been considered the budget lens. I mean, even looking at uh, some of the early Pentax stuff, the F2 lenses are exactly the same as the F1.8 lenses. They've actually just put a physical um, baffle in there to make the aperture slightly smaller, but they're the same uh -huh. lens. So it's really interesting how much of this stuff goes back to, you know, just marketing and pure economics. I, I will say, though, however, I mean, the lens that I always wanted for the Minolta system that I could never afford um, was the 1.4, which I finally got, you know, I got my Minolta system in 1985. I finally bought the 1.4 last year <laughs> to use on my Minolta film system. And the reason I did that was uh, I, I wasn't dissatisfied with my 1.7's rendering on film. 
it's just there was no click stop between 1.7 and 2.8 and the 1.4 yeah. yeah so the 1.4 to me the real utility of it is that it has a hard click stop at f2 which i shoot it there a lot so to me that was actually kind of the biggest selling factor and that i just always wanted that lens too it was you know it's a great lens it, it renders fantastically um but to me it's almost like the the ergonomics of it are a, a big selling factor as well if you're using it on film i think that's, yep. a, that's a good point though um when you're when you're comparing the the those lenses on film and and that's generally because people weren't taking the kind of photographs that people are using with digital now with the with the right. super high shutter speeds you know sure. uh, so yeah people weren't shooting wide open because half the time there was perhaps too much light for them to shoot wide open so they weren't taking those subjects so you're stopping things down to 56 or f8 and all of a sudden they all look the same and they were all equally good yeah very much Johnny's comment reminds me of that uh, one of these expressions we have that all lenses are great at f8 as, lo yeah. as long as you're shooting at f8 it's not going to matter what you're shooting with you can shoot with a zoom you can shoot with a prime if you're shooting at f8 it's going to be great unless of course the lens is wide open at f8 like a like a mirror lens it's not going to yeah. be great mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so johnny um i'm gonna i think we've i think we're done with minolta now i think we've yep. Uh, yep. we can move on now um yep. johnny you've bought uh, a a new camera, haven't you? That just got some special features. It's green. Here, listen. Here, here we go. <laughs> that that is my Petri Super Color Corrected Greenomatic, which is its um, kind of what it gets referred to as because it has a green window. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of digging this camera. I, I have to say, it it came into um, Central Camera and and landed up on the shelf. The uh, you know, the, the fixed lens rainfinder shelf. And I, I just kind of like started digging on it really badly um, and finally picked it up. I, I actually traded, I traded some gear I wasn't using. I traded a um, Canon A1 that needed some, some work and a, uh, that horrible 35 to 70 A1 lens. So for the, the cost of those, which cost me nothing, I, I now have this camera, uh, which I'm, I'm pretty darn pleased with. Um, really, I, I have to say, it's one of those cameras that I'm mainly interested in because it's an oddball. It looks odd. It's got the green window. Um, it does have a nice shape. Uh, I actually posted a, a comparison photo between this and the, I would say, much more popular um, Canon Canonette fixed lens, um, I think the uh, QL17, which it's pretty similar in most regards, um, but the, the Canon is much more, I would say, highly regarded. Although this this camera, from what I can tell, is no slouch. I mean, it does have a planar lens in it. Um, it's uh, you know 1.9 aperture, 45 uh, 45 millimeters. So it's it's very similar to the Canon, but it's just purely design that makes it different. It has kind of the angled edges, which I um, I like because that's very similar to my Canon screw mount rangefinder cameras. Um, so we'll see how it performs. Um, did I mention it has a green window? So I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take my green greenomatic out and and see see what it'll do. Uh, but it does have a very good reputation, actually. So I'm looking forward to using it. I can see the 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 attraction with uh, Petri cameras, uh, both the SLRs and the um, viewfinder cameras and range rangefinder cameras. They look fantastic, um, <laughs> but they they just Whenever you pick one yeah. up, they, they just tend to disappoint you. you. You sort of look at it, and then you pick it up, and you go, "Oh." <laughs> yeah, they, and I and I will say I, I you know I was um, rather 
um, energetically attempted to talk to talk be talked out of this camera by my by my coworker who sold these things, you know, back in the day, the old school camera guys, they hate Petri cameras, um, especially, and it's really not so much the rangefinders, which are nicely made, but the SLRs are just awful. It's got a terrible lens mount. They're famous for just being absolutely bricked up. Uh, it, it's really funny because that last week I actually saw one of those after, right after we were having this conversation about the Petri rangefinder, somebody brought in the SLR which has a, a front lens release, a front uh, shutter release, very much like an Exacta, um, and a, a absolutely horrible. Uh, uh, it's almost like a it's almost like a double breech lock mount for the lens, and it was just completely bricked. And most of them from that era are, and I think it it probably um, the the Petri SLR, the um, the later Topcon UVs, and some of the later Mirandas just are absolutely despised by those old school camera sales guys because they sold them back in the day and they just thought they were awful. <laughs> and 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 it's just so unusual to see them working. Now the lenses how are pretty they, good, uh, some of them. How do they lock up? Um, well, that, it's basically no shutter advance. Uh, shutter curtain might be hung either partially open or closed, but it's not, it's not advancing, it's not releasing, and the mirror may be locked up as well. So basically they need some sort of probably complete you know shutter overhaul of work which just isn't worth it for you know to put you know a hundred plus dollars into a camera like that that was just never that mechanically sound to begin with yeah yeah so find those lenses some of them have got pretty good lenses but the cameras i wouldn't really seek out so much for users um at least not the slrs yeah i'm a big fan of the the standard uh, lenses the 55s uh, yeah, they go, I think do f twos, one point eights. Um, I think the great lenses again, they they feel awful. Um, yeah, but, but the optics are good, so that's all that matters, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So, Carl, you've uh, you've got a new toy as well. Sure, I got a new lens that I'm really delighted with. You know, um, one of the reasons that I held on to my EM one was that um, starting in the middle of April and going through. November, we have a, every Friday night a free concert downtown at an amphitheater. And I like to go down and shoot um, photos of the bands playing and also of people. And I like, a, I had an 85 millimeter 1.4 lens on that camera and it was really great for separating a person against the background. And then when I got the Sony, I was looking for a lens that would do that. So I bought this old Olympus OM 180 2.8 and it wasn't expensive. It was it was less than $200, I think. And um, so I took it out yesterday to a farmer's market and took some shots and I'm super pleased with it. I shot it wide open. It, it, it's perfect for isolating people against the background, picking out a face in the crowd very quickly, uh, popping it into focus. And um, it's not super heavy on the camera. It's actually balanced really nicely. Although the, you know, the Alpha 7 II is a relatively heavy body. And um, so that's my new toy. And and uh, it's back in my lens cabinet now until it's the right time to use that tool. But um, yeah, that's my new one. Yeah, I've seen the, the some of the pictures you've taken, and it's it's doing a great job of of isolating the, your, your subjects, and uh, especially it's especially good that it's it's sharp when you you're shooting wide open with it. So uh, again, just helping with that separation. Right, and so and it's and what's really nice is it's it's one of the few lenses I have. The Jupiter 11 is another one, and I think the Nikkor. Sometimes I didn't need to post-process any of the images; they they came out and they looked just fine. And so now I shot 
uh, you won't like this. I was, shot, I was shooting JPEG. But um, yes, <laughs> so 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 that so it doesn't need post processing because it's already been post post processed in the camera. That's that's what you're saying, Carl. I have not adjusted anything in the camera. You know, I haven't done that yet since the camera's kind of new. Everything's just set on zero. Yeah, but if it's so, a yeah, a JPEG is a processed image. I know, but I mean, I haven't sharpened or, or yeah, added contrast or anything. Like, yeah, I, yeah. well, I've been in my Fuji, in the Fuji, I, I've done that. So, I think the Sony has you know skin smoothing enabled by default maybe yeah anyway i'm happy with it yeah well i i know that uh pear hasn't got anything new and i haven't really picked up anything uh, for myself uh, recently in fact the last lens i bought for myself was the 44.3 which i actually tried to use today uh, so i've not really had much of a chance to use it and uh, and it was uh, this morning. My dad came up uh, to our house as he uh, as he does on a Sunday to have croissants. Except he doesn't have croissants now because uh, six weeks ago he had a heart attack, and uh, yeah, which was not good news. Um, so he's you know, made a few minor changes to his uh, to his regime, and uh, and not eating croissants on a Sunday morning is uh, is now part of the regime. But um, but. Yeah, this morning uh, he was eating toast, and I thought I'm going to get a photograph. And I thought I know I'll use that 44.3, and uh, because I've I've not tried it, and uh, and I couldn't I couldn't do it. Um, I couldn't get the shot that I wanted. I think it was actually uh, the fact it was 58, and I think I needed something just a little bit longer uh, was was one thing. But I just really struggled to actually get uh, you know a critical focus. Um, so I thought, okay, well I need I need to use another lens and. The other part was uh, my dad hadn't had a shave that morning, so he, he was actually more healthy. He, he looked more healthy in reality than uh, than than the rather well, he's more healthy than the way that he looked because of his uh, unshaven appearance. So I thought, well, what what have I got that can actually help this situation? And then the the bulb went off, and I thought, that's it. I've got a Helios forty. You know, not a 40 dash two, a Helios forty uh, Zenit M thirty nine mount, and notably soft potential swirly bokeh and well what more could you want so uh i then said right don't don't eat any more of that toast i need to find the lens and it took me five minutes to actually prepare the camera uh, for the for the lens because i couldn't find my m39 to m42 step up ring um, so i kept on nipping in there and saying don't eat the toast don't eat the toast and, uh, <laughs> and then unfortunately he, he, he waited long enough uh, for me to uh, to take those shots and uh, he was in a particularly happy mood as well at the time and uh, and i think it was it was an example of um, one of the reasons why many of us have multiple lenses because it was the perfect lens for that particular situation. I got sharper lenses. Um, I haven't actually got an 85 that's faster, uh, but I've certainly got sharper lenses and I've got F2s and, and things like that. But I really wanted a soft look and yeah. uh, and that was exactly what that lens achieved for me. And I've hardly hardly used that. So it's almost, it feels like a new acquisition for the fact that I, I just, don't use that lens so uh, that was great to have well that's it's a nice a, portrait too simon i was gonna say yeah, yeah it's, it's a, a great really, it's a really nice shot yeah great image and i'm glad that he's that he's doing so well and um it's interesting you talk about you know hunting around for adapters and things I, i've got to get my my adapters under control i um having had three different camera systems the olympus stuff is all gone it's in a box in the garage i'm not going to spend time selling things for ten dollars a piece and running back and forth to the post office, but I'm using the Sony and the Fuji, and so I, 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 
uh, I just realized I didn't buy enough bottom caps for the Sony adapters, but I've got things going back and forth between two adapters, and it's it's going to be a nightmare, I can tell already. Mm. Except that I, I realize that I'm probably going to use certain lenses only on the Fuji. When I was in DC, I used that uh, LTM 35, and I, I probably am only going to use that on the Fuji camera and my um, super wide Heliar. It's probably going to be just for the Fuji, and same with the pen lenses. I don't, I don't see. I think the this Olympus, this uh, Sony is going to be for for longer lenses and some of the 50s. Simon. Uh, your photograph, let's see, your photograph of your father reminds me of the discussion we had um, initiated by Svetlana in the group about portraiture. And there were many good points about portraiture, uh, how to lead your model and, and the use of, um, in this case, toast to uh, distract the subject. But I realized we didn't talk much about the specifics of shooting portraiture with classic lenses. Uh, because as Carl says, we, we need to, sometimes we need to distract people while we're finding the right adapter for the right lens, for the right situation. I suppose that just, that's just another point in the, uh, in the be social and keep talking corner because uh, distract them from the fact that you're messing around in your bag and trying to fit one thing to the other. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, that's just about it for today's episode. And we won't be here next week. In fact, the next time the podcast will be going out, it will be on March the 20th. And the reason for that is I'm going to be at the photography show at the NEC in Birmingham. I'm going to be there for four days and I'm going to be on the KNF Concept stand. Uh, KNF Concept, um, most of you know who KNF Concept are, but they're a, a Chinese company that manufacture really good. Uh, lens adapters uh, but they also do a range of other accessories as well so I'm going to be on their stand for for the four days so if anybody's going to the photography show that's in the UK um, you know come over come over and say hello it'll be it'll be great to you know, see some of our our listeners and plus also the people that just uh, go to the uh, or rather um, take part in the photography with classic lenses Facebook group so um, to round off uh, Johnny um, please tell us how people can keep up with you on social media. All uh, right, yeah, I mean, I'm uh, definitely you can find me in the photography with classic lenses Facebook group. Uh, I am on Instagram at, at assistant photography, and you can find me most days uh, in the camera sales department at Central Camera Company in Chicago, where there is one more Greenomatic camera available if anybody wants one. It's that the, with the with a green window. Yeah, it has a green window. <laughs> I can call. Ah, okay. Well, on Flickr, um, not Flickr. On, um, yeah, on Flickr, Carl um, Havens is my name, capital K and, and uh, capital H. And then on Instagram, Carl Havens, all a lowercase with an underscore in between. And then, of course, on the Photography with Classic Lenses Facebook page. How about you, Pat? You can find me almost any day in the uh, Photography with Classic Lenses Facebook group, but I am also on Instagram at, at Edmund Pear and at, on Flickr as Pear Edmund. And I can be found in a few places. I'm on Instagram as Simon P. Forster, that's one word. Uh, Simon Forster on Flickr. You can find my eBay shop by doing a seller search for It's Fozzy, that's I-T-S-F-O-Z-Z-Y. And you can find all of us in the Facebook group, Photography with Classic Lenses. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast and it'll be great if you can join us in a couple of weeks. Goodbye.
Um, okay, so uh, Johnny has got a what's it what's it called? Petri what? Uh, it is the uh, Petri uh, 1.9 Super Color Corrected. No, Color Corrected Super. That's what it says on the front of the camera. That's, that's what the camera's called. Yep. Nice. <laughs> I know. Wait, but there's also, it does have the nickname. It's not, it's like Green Machine or something. Let me see if I can find the nickname. So this is actually the Petri Green Omatic system, is the actual <laughs> name. The actual Green Omatic Rangefinder. It's the Petri Green Omatic Rangefinder. So there you go. There you go. I, I want to talk about uh, Zoom, Minolta Zoom Lenses first pair. All right. Because that's something that we we completely missed out, and that's one. That it's it's certainly, in my view, it's actually uh, the strongest area of of, of, of Minolta. <laughs> I, I think their, their zoom lenses are great, or some of them are at least anyway, for zoom lenses. You think zoom lenses are great? We yeah. should use that as an outtake. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> I said I said Minolta zoom lenses are great. There well, we even that, I mean, but, but yeah. even even without the Minolta, it's an amazing statement. Yeah, I did. I also did, you know, some are, so uh, it's still caveated heavily. But uh, yeah. okay, there were two. There were two Minolta zoom lenses I like. <laughs> there we go. Let's be a bit more specific, let's, I suppose. Let's talk to that when we talk about that when we talk about yeah, it. Okay. Exactly. Okay. I'm not recording this for now. Are we? Uh, I think we're pretty much at the end. Is, yeah. Good. Is uh, anybody got anything else you want to say before we we, we do the wrap? No. Yes. My camera has a green window. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs>